welcome back to Law Radio. I'm Melissa Caston. Today I'm talking with Katie Miller, the immediate past president of the Law Institute of Victoria. As president, Katie championed the cause of change within the legal profession and encouraged lawyers to adapt to change and what's known as digital disruption through the use of innovation and the greater use of technology. Welcome, Katie. Katie Miller, thanks for being on Law Radio. I know you're with Victorian Legal Aid now. What was your position last year? Last year, I was very fortunate to be president of the Law Institute of Victoria. And what was one of the ta- one of the were the tasks that were involved in being president of the Law Institute? It's a pretty unusual sort of role to hold. So, first and foremost, you're the chair of the council of the. Um, Law Institute of Victoria. So in some ways it's it's a very sort of governance type of role. You know, you chair the board, you chair the meetings, uh, you know, you're responsible for making sure that the board works as a cohesive unit. Uh, but I think the stuff that is a lot more interesting and a lot more visible uh, is that you are responsible for managing your internal stakeholders. So really that's our members and, right. and making sure that um, our members know what we're doing, uh, if they have any concerns. You know, I, I had a very sort of open door policy or a I'll have a coffee with anyone policy that if people had concerns, um, you know, they would raise them with the president and I'd see if I could do anything about Mm. them. Uh, And also external stakeholders. So that was the media, it was government, other law societies. Um, So it it was very much a a year where you spent a lot of time meeting with people, talking about, you know, the big issues that were affecting the legal profession. Uh, Yeah, so it was a pretty weird but very fun year. So one of the big issues that seemed to capture your attention was the question of innovation and disruption in the law sector or the legal profession. Um, and I know you had a very big report that came out dealing with your research into those issues. Can you tell me um, what inspired you to look into the issue during the period of, of that year? So the issue of how the legal sector and the legal profession are changing had been something that the LIV Council had been talking about for a number of years. So we'd had some really good speakers come and speak to us about this. Uh, And my impression after I heard each of these very clever people speak um, was a real sense of despondency, you know, a real sense of, oh, great, I've, I've really chosen a bit of a dud profession that's, you know, going to be obliterated in 10 years. What am I doing here? <laughs> um, and when I spoke to people about change, um, I noticed a similar sort of sense of despondency or or just being overwhelmed and not really knowing mm. what to do about mm. it. So I wanted to try and take the um, conversation to a more positive place about, okay, change yeah. is coming mm. slash is here. What are we going to do about it? What mm. can mm. we do about it? Um, and so what I decided to do was um, to actually just go and speak to people who had already done mm. it um, and just find out what they'd done and see if maybe we mm. could copy it. I mean, the, the, I guess the nature of legal culture, particularly in Australia and other common law cult- countries, is we are very invested in precedent and we tend to kind of mimic the hierarchies that we see in, in legal reporting and in cases in all of our work interactions. So if it hasn't been done before, we won't do it. But if someone else has done it before, we will mimic or follow that precedent. And so it's not just actually about legal rules, it's actually about our professional culture as well a little bit. 
It is absolutely about our culture. Uh, and I think that the, the culture of precedent is in some ways one of the great strengths of the legal profession. Uh, the reason that it has existed and been so immune to some of the tumultuous change that happens in our society is because it is not subject to prevailing political winds. It's mm. actually one of its great strengths. But like all things, when the world is changing quickly, your greatest strength can also become your greatest weaknesses. Mm. Um, now, having said that, when I actually look at what I did with my report, mm. I in some ways just did another sort of, you know, let's look at what someone else is doing. Mm -hmm. I actually I actually did this report based on the culture of precedent. Yeah. I went and spoke to people who had already done it mm -hmm. and said, what can I learn from you? Mm. I think the difference is that I didn't limit myself to lawyers who look like me or lawyers who do law like I have always done mm -hmm. law, but I looked at lawyers who were doing it differently and I also went and spoke to non-lawyers. Mm. Some of the greatest insights I got uh, was not from the lawyers I spoke to. It wasn't even the people that I was formally going out to meet. Mm. It was going to museums and speaking to people who you know, studied innovation. There's actually museums about you know, innovation in America. Um, and you know, just looking at what people had done in other sectors that had nothing to do with law and saying, actually, that's kind of cool. We could do that mm. too. So what would you say were the key things you found from talking to the people who had either been part of innovation out of law or promoting innovation within the legal profession? So I came back, I, I sort of identified a number of themes and they then became the findings in the report. Uh, there are 10 findings. Um, I encourage everyone who is wanting to get involved in, in innovation to really focus on the first three. I think the first three are your building blocks upon which you can do the others. Mm. Um, so the first one is that innovators know what they do, they know why they do it, and they know for whom they do it. Um, and what that really is about is, you need to actually look at what are you doing now? How are you delivering legal services now? Who are your clients? Why are you delivering those particular services? Um, and you need to map it all. Mm. And the reason you need to know all of that is that you can't decide which is the best place to change until you actually know what you do. Right. So that was the first thing. And, and once they actually had those maps, they were able to identify you know, which bits would be safe parts to change, mm. i.e. parts that might change the client experience but wouldn't necessarily change the outcome at court. Um, it might be something that, you know, it, it was a piece of uh, the process that if it didn't work out, there was still enough time to mm. fall back to the usual way of mm -hmm. doing things so you could still get the outcome for the client. Um, but you, you only know that if you know what your whole process mm. is. Uh, the second thing that I saw in innovators is that they collaborate. Now, that doesn't just mean lawyers working with lawyers. Right. Um, the innovators were really open to what are the skill sets that I don't have mm -hmm. but will help me to deliver a better client mm. service. And working with the people who have those skills in true partnerships. Uh, I don't mean a legal partnership. Mm -hmm. I don't mean the, the law firm partnership. I mean an actual partnership where you marry up different skills. Mm -hmm. So we had in the one organisation... A legal director but we also had marketing directors uh, we had technology directors we had people whose sole focus was on communication mm. and making sure that the uh, the correspondence that was sent by this firm or this organization um, you know was readily understood by the user mm. so it, and, and each organization was different mm. each organization had a different idea about which skill sets 
they needed. Uh, and that's because they'd done that mapping work right. and they actually understood what are the skills we need mm. to deliver these services. So that's kind of what we used to call teamwork, but is now called collaborative work. Uh, it is it is teamwork. I, I sort of almost think of it as an integrated. I think of it as an integrated work because I think with teamwork uh, you can sometimes have this model that each person goes away and does their own their thing beat. and brings it together. Yeah, that's just kind of a satellite process that then comes back. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to actually working alongside someone. Exactly. This was um, one of the best organisations I saw. Would probably be more a conveyor belt model in the sense that. Um, one person's piece just didn't make sense mm -hmm. unless the other pieces had happened before it. Right. So the and then the third aspect of innovation. I, I cut you off before you oh got yeah, to no, say that's it. That's fine. That's fine. So the third was that innovators start and end with the client. Right. Um, and what that means is that, and, and this is what I, I always love about you know when people talk about innovation. I mean, in some ways, it, it is a buzzword that is in. Um, very near danger of becoming meaningless. Yeah. So I always like to um, say, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do I mean about innovation? When I say innovation, I mean making things better. Mm. And that, of course, begs the question, better for whom? <laughs> and the innovators, for the innovators, it's better for the client. Mm. Uh, now, there were some innovators who started at the opposite end and said, we actually want to make things better for the lawyer. Mm. Invariably, those innovations failed. Really? Yep. But what was interesting is that they were able to then pivot and say, well, okay, let's turn this around mm. and we'll try it from the client's perspective. And they were successful. Mm. They did provide a service that was better for the client, but incidentally ended up being better for the lawyers mm -hmm. as well. Is that because legal process isn't actually about providing lawyers with law work to do? It's actually about assisting clients resolve problems and exactly. difficulties? Exactly. Uh, and so you so, have to pick it up from that end yep. in order for the the changes to make sense. Yep. And I think this is a really scary process for a lot of lawyers to go through because when you talk about what is the best thing I could do for a client, sometimes the answer may be the best thing I can do for this client is to get out of the way. <laughs> That's a really hard thing to do. But I think if we are being true professionals, mm. if we are actually saying that we act in the interests of our client, then if the best result is for us to step aside, then we need to get out of the way. <laughs> That's a hard thing for lawyers to admit. It's very hard. And I must say, I, I did. Um, I actually started this tour thinking, oh, look, I'm going to go over and really I'm, I'm, I'm going off to find out that, you know, law is dead and that lawyers are not going to be needed. Um, but invariably, uh, everyone that I spoke to, I, I asked them, you know, what are lawyers doing in 2025? Uh, and everyone said, you're going to be very busy. You know, we are going to still need lawyers. Right. Um, the problem at the moment is that I think lawyers are underselling themselves. Mm. Lawyers focus on themselves as we're the people who fill in the documents or, mm -hmm. you know, we do the documentary work to transfer, you know, ownership of your house, for example, yep. or to create your will. That's not the real value of going to a lawyer mm. for, you know, conveyancing or, or a will. Um, the real value is another human being who can guide you through the process. You know, I mean, a, a really good lawyer doesn't just know the law and doesn't just uh, know, you know, the sort of what the law is and how the process mm. works. But a really good lawyer helps you to understand what actually is my problem, mm. what are the actual things I want to get out of this, and they make you feel like it's all going to be okay. So we're not just warm, squishy things that could be replaced by a computer? 
I think we can be greatly assisted by a computer. I think that in some instances we will be replaced by a computer simply because we are too expensive. And, and some, some work is mechanical. Some work is sense. mechanical, exactly. You know, there are some things that we do uh, that nobody likes doing. Uh, and if you think I'm wrong about this, go and talk to how many, you know, go and ask partners of law firms and ask how many of them are still doing discovery in the same way they did as first or second year lawyers. Like, no one does it. Not, not many no people love it. that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to do it. So I think for lawyers, it's about saying, give up the work you don't like anyway mm. and really look at your skills and say, well, what other work could I be doing for clients? Mm. What do my clients need? Mm. There are a lot of things that people need and I think we need to... Uh, open our minds and get a bit creative about the problems that we will help people with and how we will help them with mm. those problems. Mm. So we've heard, uh, we've been talking today about a lot of issues like online dispute resolution and alternative forms of helping people, um, in a sense, bypass legal processes or preempt legal processes and resolve disputes before they escalate into the legal realm. That's one aspect, I guess, of innovation. But another aspect is how lawyers will actually work in their lives in, as you say, in 2025 mm. or 45. Um, do you have any examples that come to mind of really striking innovations that are happening right now, you know, this year and last year, where you think, I can see that going forward over the next 10 years. I can see that, that Uber for law or that uh, innovative after hours legal service or something that really struck you as being the way that we'll see things changing in the future. So the one thing that I saw that I thought, actually, yeah, that's that's really exciting right now, um, are the talent search providers. Mm. And so this is the idea that um, sometimes what you do need is a lawyer, mm. but finding the right lawyer can be quite difficult, yep. especially for you know for companies, for government. We're, we're talking here about you know big purchases of mm. legal services, uh, and sometimes they don't want to have an employee lawyer because mm. of you know all of the baggage that that brings. Um, they just need someone for a short period for a project. And so that's where you are getting these companies that are saying, well, we have um, databases of lawyers that we know are good, um, who may have worked for us previously, they may be alumni of firms or, or whatever, um, and they are matching them with legal work. Um, so it's this idea that, you know, you can sort of be a freelance lawyer. You know, you don't need so to find... Tinder for lawyers. Sort of, sort of maybe for Tinder for lawyers, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of that, yeah. Um, in, in terms of the sort of more Uber for lawyers, uh, there are some platforms that are starting up. So they're, they're quite big in America. Mm. We've got some that are in the early stages in Australia. Um, and that is that idea that more for your consumer client, mm -hmm. they can go onto this uh, website or this platform. Um, they can sort of say, here's my legal problem or here's the you know piece of work that I want done. Uh, and then users of the platform can essentially bid for that work mm. and say, well, look, here's how I'll approach it. This is what it'll cost, um, and they are now out there. Right. Uh, and most of those platforms also provide uh, tools that you can actually sort of create some of your more basic legal documents, mm. so, you know, your letters. Um, yeah, so I think, I think they are here. I think they will really open up some of the flexibility that's happening in the profession. Um, I think what's interesting about those is that they are really just taking online mm. what is actually a traditional practice okay. format. Yeah. Um, I think that once we get sort of AI happening, you know, artificial intelligence, once we get online dispute resolution, I think that's where we'll really start seeing the mm. big change. Okay. And finally, if you're talking to law students who are looking at graduating in the next year or two and thinking about how they should equip themselves for 
being lawyers in the future, what do you think are the key things they should be looking at? I think the first thing I would say to law students is that knowing the law is not enough. Mm. Uh, everyone who graduates with a law degree has a law degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need to think about what else do I have? And sometimes the answer to that will not come from your law degree. So the fact that you scored the highest in torts is not that, I mean, it is impressive, but there's going to be other students who score the highest in torts. Mm. Like that's, that's not your difference. Mm -hmm. Have a think about what are the things that interest you. If you've done another degree, have a think about how that degree mm. may help you in being a lawyer mm. um, and it may not be a, a direct correlation but it might be a skill that you've picked mm -hmm. up along the way mm. um, it might be a personal skill it might be a technology skill um, it might be uh, that you understand how businesses and organizations operate mm. um, you've really got to look at what are my bundle of skills and how do I sell that into the market right so broaden your horizons a bit. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think that law students have been great, and, of course, you know, Monash University were the leaders in this. Um, law students have been great at getting out and trying out their legal skills before they graduate through, of course, you know, the clinical legal mm. education and things like Springvale Community Legal um, Centre. I would, what I would love to see is law students doing that um, but doing it in, you know, trying out their legal skills in innovative ways, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I think if you go and talk to any software student, mm. they're playing around with code and they're right. having a bit of a go at it. Um, I would love to see law students, um, you know, practising and sort of, you know, thinking of an access to justice problem and thinking, well, how would I solve that? Mm. And, you know, even going as far as teaming up with a coder maybe and, you know, trying to develop mm -hmm. an app. Mm. Um, I'm not saying go out and, you know, practise law without practicing certificate that would be a bad thing but there's a lot you can do before you get to that black line of I'm engaging in legal work okay Katie Miller thank you very much thank you Melissa you've been listening to Law Radio you can find more about today's topic on our blog at lawradio.net you'll find us on social media on Twitter and Facebook and you can follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud thanks for listening 